1: Hey,
2: welcome into episode 4. We're going to do almost 90 minutes today with Brooks Hall. We're going to do a one-on-one interview about his playing days for UD and all the various stories therein. I'm going to bring you up to speed on some of the scheduling things to start the show, and then we'll get right into the interview. Good time to remind you that today's episode is sponsored by Shure Printing, family-owned and operated since 1974, and located in Kettering, but servicing the entire Miami Valley, Sherholtz Printing is there for you. If it's printed, they can help, taking care of all your printing needs from design to offset, binder, and fulfillment. Promotional products, even apparel for businesses, schools, and events. Proud supporters of UD men's and women's basketball, and Charlie Sherholtz has assured me that their business has been open safely and placing orders throughout the pandemic. You can reach them at sureholtzprinting.com S-C-H-U-E-R-H-O-L-Z, printing.com, and they were kind enough to sponsor this episode here tonight, so let's get right to it. Let's go. to Hall.
1: Somebody get a shot up at the.
2: This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Hey, here come the Flyers. Hey. Episode 4, I'm your host, Sully, and you're the listener of this great program and probably a fan of the Navy Flyers. It's absolutely fantastic to have you back for another episode. It is Thursday, October 22nd, and as I have made customary, I'm recording this on the same day I'm releasing it to your ear couple things to talk about today, but most of which is just getting to the interview, talking to Brooks Hall. Uh, One of my favorite players as a kid growing up, so it was really cool to see my fan experience come full circle and get a chance to sit down with him. As we started getting into stories, you'll you'll see later on in the interview, uh, Brooks mentioned to me that we got into so many topics that each story that we brought up happened to be... Um, the subject matter on its own and uh, we could have probably made this two hours if we wanted to but i i want to be fair to you i want to be nice to you. you don't want to hear a two-hour podcast i even thought about breaking this up into two episodes do me a favor if you're a big fan of the show and you have an opinion one way or another i know you have an opinion if you want to break these episodes up into two 40-minute segments let me know drop me a line on twitter at talking out loud on everything, Twitter, Instagram, you can send me an email, I don't care, directly DM me at SullyMyGoodName, but I want to know your feedback. Do you like two 40-minute episodes, do you like a nice long one? Today we're going with a nice long one, it's going to be right around an hour and a half, and before we do get to the interview, there are a couple of things to discuss, uh, not the least of which I want to thank again, Surehold's Printing for sponsoring this episode, a locally owned Kettering business there for all your printing needs. Uh, they're the sponsors for Episode 4 and moving forward. So thanks for being on board uh, to them. A little bit of scheduling news that came across the desk yesterday, uh, more specifically on Twitter. Jablo has been breaking some scheduling news here and there as it becomes available, but it continues to be one of the weirdest years that we've seen in scheduling. Um, the season is 34 days away as of the time of this recording, and we still have nothing tangible to go on as far as a schedule. Now, we do have some nuggets. We do have some things that we know are going to happen. um, And the first of which is that the Flyers will be playing SMU in Dayton. Uh, I went on this program probably a month or two ago and said that that game is going to happen no matter what. But I was under the impression that it was going to take place in Dallas because that was the first thing that I was told many moons ago. As you might know, uh, the scheduling process has been changing rapidly, and it feels like every time I connect with a source or connect with somebody that's familiar with the process, they give me a different answer as to which games are being played, who's agreeing to the games. What I knew throughout this process was that SMU was committed to playing the game somewhere. Um, Initially, they had said, though, to play in Dallas, but I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Ohio's quarantine rules or um, the COVID guidelines have been a little bit more lenient than they were in Texas. And so from the outset, I think they thought it was probably most likely that it was going to be in Texas. But lo and behold, the game is actually going to be played in Dayton, Ohio, and that's going to happen on December 5th. So December 5th is Saturday. Two Saturdays after that, Dayton's going to welcome in Old Miss uh, to the arena. So, right off the bat, we got two great games on the non-con slate. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's going to be a lot of people inside the arena watching. Um, you know, it might go without saying. Uh, but, you know, it's again, it's a fluid situation. Like, we're still month and a half out from those games being played would not surprise me in the least if somebody would come out and say, hey, uh, we'll get a couple thousand in the arena. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they said nobody's allowed in the arena until January. Um, So the best we can do is to kind of monitor the situation as it unfolds and try not to be too critical of people that put out information, and then backtrack on it and change that information. It doesn't necessarily mean they were wrong. It just means the information that they were given uh, has changed. And, and that's kind of the situation I found myself in. I was a little surprised that the game flip-flopped from uh, Dallas to Dayton, but here we are. So Dayton's got two games, SMU, Old Miss, like I said, December 5th and the 19th. Uh, Neil Sullivan came out yesterday, which would have been Wednesday, October 21st, and said that, There will likely be three other games on the schedule for UD at home, and I really like this piece by Neil Sullivan to add in that these will not be at-large contenders or at-large type of opponents, and really all that means is they're looking for three really bad teams to come in, mop up on, give them a check, and send them home well-fed. That's been the case for years, obviously, and uh, you know that those teams come in, uh, they take their whooping, they get a nice hot meal, uh, maybe a warm bed at the Marriott, and then you you head home. Uh, So those games are going to take place. There's going to be three of them. So if you're keeping track now, there's going to be five home games at UD arena before January. And we hit the conference slate. Um, Let's put the conference slate aside right now, because I I have no earthly idea how the a 10 is going to handle this. Haven't really been in touch with the commissioner's office at all during this off season, because I figured, I figured we would have some kind of update um, as we, we kind of went along through the off season, but uh, we haven't had that. Um, So, While we wait for the conference schedule, what we do know is that UD is going to get those five games at home on, again, the 5th and the 19th, SMU and Ole Miss. And so that will bring you to five games. Then, of course, you have the three games that you're going to be playing in South Dakota. And those are going to be great games, just like the Thanksgiving tournaments. That'll be pretty traditional. That'll feel fairly normal for Flyers fans. because we're going to come out of the gate in that Thanksgiving tournament, most likely, like they did in the old days. Um, And, you know, that will at least give you a sense of normalcy that we're going into a college basketball year that's not completely blown to shit. So then... After that, uh, what I took away the most from this big scheduling announcement was that there will only be one game down in Atlanta. So bringing the non-conference schedule full circle for you, we're going to get to nine games. The ninth game, so I said three in South Dakota, the five at home. The ninth game is going to be in Atlanta against Mississippi State. You might remember many, many months ago that UD had announced they were going to do one of those one-off games with Mississippi State, similar to how they played SMU in Phoenix last year. Um, And then with COVID, they were very uncertain it was going to happen. Georgia, obviously, has been opening up a little bit more rapidly than everybody else. And with that, of course, came uh, the opportunity to have this game and get it in. Now, When there was all that talk about having bubbles and getting as many games in at one site as possible, I really did think there was the possibility that that Atlanta situation would turn into two games, Um, You know, just turn it around and play the other two teams that were there with Dayton and Mississippi State, but I think it's confirmation enough yesterday with the five announced home games and the three in South Dakota. We're only going to get to nine, so you can do the math. That only leaves you with one game at Atlanta, so... The non-conference schedule is taking shape, but it still really has, there's nothing tangible on paper besides the games that I've already mentioned. Um, The three-by games will be against bad teams. Well, you know, it is what it is, people. That's college basketball. You bring in a couple of bad teams, and, and then you send them home, and you make sure you never get beat, of course. So that's it. Um, you know, hopefully by next week, week after. I mean, it, the thing that I keep monitoring that I think is hilarious is just how long we're going to go down this road without a college basketball schedule. I mean, we're getting to the point now where we're going to be less than a month to the season and have no schedule. Um, my next episode, of course, will come to you with 27 days left in the offseason. And so with all the things that, that have been going on right now, I have to say this is one of the most bizarre. And Larry Hansgen talked about in episode one how the checkpoints that we usually have in 2020 uh, just aren't there anymore, and, and I can't really think of a more perfect example. I'm usually salivating over the schedule around Labor Day, I'm dissecting it, putting out an article about, here's, here's the teams, here's what they look like, and here we are, sitting here about uh, ready to hit the Halloween holiday uh, with basketball right around the corner, and um. We got nothing. <laughs> Last year, the season would have been about 17 days away. So it just gives you some perspective for just how bizarre uh, this year really is. Before. I get to my interview tonight with Brooks Hall, and I, I'm just super pumped to give this to you guys. And again, I apologize a little bit for the length, but I do want to know if uh, you know you're well suited for 40 minute podcasts or just a nice long one like this one. Um, but I had to ask you, viewers, uh, viewers and listeners, mostly listeners, I, I have to say, listeners, a question, and is do you need an automotive expert that you can trust? George at Mobile Used Car Inspections is your man. He's an ASE certified technician who specializes in pre-purchase inspections when you're buying a used vehicle and performs certified and IRS qualified automotive appraisals for all insurance and legal purposes. And here's the thing. He's been doing it since BG introduced us to the four-man weave back in the early 2000s. So he's been around for a while. If you're thinking of buying a used car, call George. He'll go to the car, check it out on site for you. You barely even have to do anything. If your car has been totaled, but your settlement amount seems too low, you give George a call. If your car has been hit and now has bad Carfax report, give George a call. Are you a big shot UD lograd that needs an expert witness? George has never been defeated in court. That's a stone cold fact. So, if you have any automotive questions, call George. He's happy to provide free advice to Flyer fans anytime. You can email him at info at mobileinspections.com or just find him at mobileinspections.com or simply call 937-671-0768. Again, 937-671-0768. That's George at mobileinspections.com and he is your sponsor for the Brooks Hall interview coming up right now. So, welcome back to the program today. Special interview that I have been waiting to do for quite some time, and I say that because um, I have a jersey. You guys might have seen me wear this jersey. I put it on Twitter all the time. I've worn it to I've worn it to London. I've worn it to Lollapalooza. All around the country, I've taken this jersey. It's not white anymore. It's kind of like an off off white color. Um, but it is a Dayton 33 jersey that I bought in 2002 when I was 11 years old. And after the game, I went up to the concourse, uh, to get it signed by my favorite player at the time. And his name was Brooks Hall. He's the 23rd leading scorer in Dayton Flyers history. And my life as a fan has finally come full circle because he's joined me on the program today. Please welcome on Brooks Hall. How you doing today, man? It's great to have you on the program. Man, I'm
3: doing well. I appreciate you having me, and and that's a crazy story. I I didn't know. I've seen. Yeah, I think you I tagged you me that. on. You tagged me on Twitter one time. That's and I saw like the lollapalooza or whatever. I know you take it everywhere, but I didn't know. You you had me uh, sign that as an eleven year old. That's a cool story, man.
2: Yeah, man. You know, getting ready for this podcast, um, I I want to reach out to my family because like we had a picture on the concourse somewhere, and I texted my cousin like a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, do you remember taking a picture with Brooks like way back in the day? He goes, he goes, bro, that picture exists. It's in this <laughs> world somewhere, but I don't know where it is. So I couldn't find the picture. I will try. I'm going to ask my mom again back in Pittsburgh, but. There is a picture somewhere. So, yeah, man, I still got that jersey, and um, it made it to Daytona a couple times, too, so you can imagine jumping in the pool. Like, that That signature's really faded, so when I'm at UD, we're going to have to get a redo of that one, man. Hey, the stories that jersey could tell about you. <laughs> you got that right, man. It's been around a long time. So, um like I said, the, the life as a fan has finally come full circle and, um, and it's great to have you on today, man. I, I mentioned to Brooks before the show that we've done this already with Keith Walaskowski, Sean Finn. Um, one of these days I'll have to track down Ramad Marshall. I don't know what he's up to these days, but that's the hardest part, man. Is like tracking people down, but you like, you're always around Dayton, So you're not a hard, hard man to find, right? What are you up to these days? Yeah. So I, I,
3: you know, that's why I went to Dayton. That's why I went to Dayton. I'm a homebody and, um, so I, after my playing days were over, came back to the area and 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 I was married and started a family in the Beaver Creek area, right outside of of Dayton. So yeah, man, I I found my way back here. Uh, now, man, so I was after I got done playing for about ten years, I was in the social work field, worked at a private foster care agency, and just really always wanted to get back and and help young people. Um, as of last year, though last July, I kind of ventured off into the to the basketball world, and uh, I do some recruiting consulting. I'm a part of a. Uh, I'm the director of scouting for a. It's called OGBR. stands for Ohio Girls Basketball Report. Big big time company has been around about 20 plus years, and they they just put on events um, for for young people. They also it's a uh, recruiting. Or I'm sorry, it's a like a scouting service where colleges subscribe to them. It just does a whole lot of things to to help young people. Uh, you know, give them a platform for a chance to to play college basketball. So, and then I, you know, I train Mm -hmm. on the side. So man, I'm just doing a lot of of things that involve helping young people, but also uh, it allows me to be around the game I love. Oh, and of course I still do the radio for the men's team. So, you know, I'm loving that.
2: I was going to say, man, we're going to see you uh, doing the color commentary on games this upcoming season, right? I mean, I,
3: I hope I actually, I <laughs> we have games. Yeah. I, you know, so I got an email from, from Larry Hanskin actually while we were, we were talking earlier and just trying to figure he doesn't know yet. So, you know, we were trying to talk about the flyer feedback schedule, but man, I have no idea what, what the games are going to look like this year so
2: yeah no nobody does man um so now that you have transitioned like off the floor and uh i know you're a dad in the stands these days but is it easier to be a player or is it easier to be a fan where do you find yourself on that spectrum uh man it's much easier to be a fan um yeah (laughs) you know we we had we had a joke back
3: in my playing days we used to love to play on the road and and i'm going to tell you why it's because our ud fans man they they are the best fans in in the world but they'll let you know when you're not playing well. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. man, I got, we got booed into the locker room so many times back when I was playing. So you know, so it was. A, it's a lot easier being the ones critiquing from the stands than than getting booed into the locker room. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but 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 nah, no, I love I love it, man. I love I love the fans, and and it was always fun playing in front of thirteen thousand. I know that.
2: Yeah. And, and so we'll, we'll back up and, and take it, take it all the way down the road here for listeners. Um, so I have a lot of younger listeners on the show. And if you don't know, um, that's okay. It's, 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 you know, Brooks, you're getting up there now where there's students on <laughs> campus that didn't even see you play anymore, bro. So uh, oh, I know. I know. Brooks, Brooks played at uh, UD from 1999 until 03. Um, and, you know, you mentioned you'll know, be a homebody and staying in Dayton. So coming out of high school, Uh, Brooks was Ohio Mr. Basketball. And I would, I think to that time, you were probably one of the bigger recruits that OP had had. Um, But you know, it's always big, you know, growing up in the area and being there since every time a home recruit stays home. It's a big deal for the program. It always has been um you know what went into that decision for you in high school I mean did you even really consider anywhere else because I you know it's was, it was a long time ago for me and I was a little kid but from what I remember um you know you kind of had it in your mind that you were going to stay home the whole way right
3: nah man actually um <laughs> it, it's funny looking back now as an adult but back then being Mr. Basketball and I you know I was blessed to I had a good high school career and uh had offers from pretty much everywhere um Especially regionally, uh, the only the only offers I didn't have at that time on on, on this side of the U.S. was was basically uh, Duke and North Carolina, and those teams were were loaded at my position back then. Mm-hmm. But, but my final five, man, I narrowed it down to uh, Michigan, Michigan State, North Carolina State, Kentucky. Back when Tubby was there, and um, oh yeah, and and I only had Dayton on my list in case I wanted to stay home. But I honestly thought that I was going to go away and go big. Um, but what ended up? You asked what what went into that decision. What happened was, you know, air is a big thing now and traveling, all all that. But but back then they had like the Nike camp and Adidas camps, and there was just I just went on tour for like two months straight where I wasn't home at all, and this was my junior year, um, mm-hmm. and so it was by the end of that little two month stint that I I was homesick, and it kind of just hit me where I'm like, man, if I'm if I'm homesick after this little month-and-a-half, two-month stint with AAU, what, what am I going to do going away for college? And and that's where the tables really turned. I actually had, had verbaled, uh to Michigan State. A lot of people don't know that. I, I had actually did a soft commitment to Michigan State because Andre Hudson, um, he's from Trotwood, right outside of Dayton, and he played – back. that was back way back. I'm going to throw some names out there. Mateen Cleaves, Mo Pete yep um charlie bill
2: 2000 they won the national championship that would have been your freshman year yeah why why, why you gotta why you gotta remind me that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, yes
3: that would have been my freshman year man so (laughs) but 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 andre hudson was a good friend of mine that went to michigan state and and that's why i was kind of i was going to michigan state man and and then i had that aau tour that i told you about and i decided to stay home so that so so, yeah, man, I, I I surprised a lot of people. One thing that I'll never forget, you talked about it being a big, big recruit. Talk about pressure on a kid. And by the way, I graduated high school at 17. Like, I was a young a young player. Yeah. And uh, when I committed, going before my senior year of high school, uh, Dayton, there was like a newspaper or whatever for for UD. And I'll never forget, big old picture of me, and, and across the top, it said, Savior. I'm like, man, what? So, so <laughs> Talk about pressure, man. Uh.
2: So I, I think maybe that's why, um, you know, your, your memory, you know, in general, I'm saying like your memory tends to be quite selective when you're a little kid. Like, you know, I remember this, I remember that. And, um, it, you know, it's interesting to hear, man, that you, you kind of had bags packed and like ready to go to Michigan State. And funny enough, um if I, if I recall correctly, Brian Gregory was an assistant on that Michigan State team, right? He was, and then uh was, and then the the lead assistant. Well, the one the guy that
3: recruited me heavy was Tom Crane. Actually, um, he was kind of in charge of, and that's I really hit it off with Tom Crane, who ended up going to Indiana and Mar- I think yep. he went to Marquette. He's um, at Georgia now, yeah. Oh, is he? Okay, see, I didn't mm-hmm. even know that. Um, yep. But yeah, so that was yeah. So Gregory was there, and and you know, full circle, he came to you. You know, UD as everybody knows, and that's a whole other story. But but yeah, yeah. man.
2: More <laughs> <laughs> but i i mean so to put context around the program um it, it, it it's not like obviously it's not fair to say like savior for a, a freshman coming into the program but at that time i mean op was getting into what year six um and he had turned the program around like obviously in 98 they had a good year and they he kind of pulled them out of the the muck they were in created by jim o'brien but at that time you know, UD was looking for any kind of spark to like put the program back to relevance because like they were, you know, we're getting into like the fifth year in the A-10 and you hadn't really done a whole lot. And so I don't necessarily think it was you specifically. I think it was just like the situation, right? Of like UD found themselves trying desperately to climb out of being irrelevant. They found a local kid. You know, you happened to be a really good recruit at that time. So I think it was more like all the stars aligning for Dayton fans to be like, "Hey, we finally have something to be like really pumped up about." And at that time, I mean, it had been a decade since Dayton fans had something to be excited about. So that's probably, you know, what led to it more than anything, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And 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 I want to make sure I, I'm clear. The the paper was it was a, it was campus paper. So I mean, it oh, was, okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it was it was UD's paper. <clears throat> um, you know, so yeah, it wasn't in the Dayton Daily. Is now there were there was major coverage in the Dayton Daily they were excited about me coming in but they they didn't label me or put me put that type of pressure on me it was my fellow my fellow UD students
2: (laughs) (laughs) who were were always the toughest um I you know to this day the alumni are always the hardest on the team for for one reason or another but um so you came in, and I mean, you you know, averaged ten points a game out of the gate. What was the message from OP when you got on campus? I mean, did he use that in recruiting you to say, "Hey, you're going to get on the floor day one, minute one"? As opposed to you know, a team like Michigan State that was already fully loaded, you might have just been a reserve off the bench. I mean, what was the message from from Purnell at that time to to get you to buy into the to the message?
3: Yeah. So what really got me, man, is is the, I'm I'm a family guy. I'm a culture guy and they actually started recruiting me pretty heavy in like seventh, eighth grade, which nowadays it, it's kind of normal. It's funny enough where, where young kids are getting offered and committed. But back then, know. you know, that was 25 years ago. Or so that wasn't the norm. So so they really started to develop a relationship with me early. Um, and then, of course, by time, you know, I developed into a pretty good player. And so he was able to say, yeah, you're going to make an impact your freshman year. He didn't guarantee me to start. and And what a lot of people don't remember. Um, I didn't start coming in day one. What happened was that we had a really good shooter, six, seven, um, Kane Dalibo um, mm-hmm. from Springboro and Kane played the same position as me. And very long story short, he started having some serious back issues, a few games in. And, and I think he started the first four or five games back locked up on him. I started like game six or something like that. And then started every game after that for the rest of my career. And, and so that's kind of how that went down.
2: I mean, that's how it is, man. You you wait for your yeah. opportunity and then you uh and you jump in, right? You got to be yeah. ready when when your number's called. Um I found it funny that your first collegiate game, do you happen to remember where it was? Was that um was that in the pit? Yeah, yeah, I, I was looking up, like, I always, before we do these segments, I like to look up some of the stuff I've forgotten. I mean, I, I know most of the records, what the teams did at the end of the year, blah, 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 but I'm looking through, you know, Friday, November, 19th, 99, and I was like, damn, like, that is a really rough first game for a freshman. I mean, that's, like, one of the, like, the hardest places to play in the country. Yeah, what what yeah. was that first game out, going to New Mexico and playing in the pit? Yeah, man, and for your, you know, you, you said you got a lot of younger listeners, it would be,
3: I don't even know what to compare it to, but but the pit was like how hard it is to win at Duke or or these yeah, places yeah. that people just don't lose at home. So Coming to UD a lot of times, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and it was because you go out there in the altitude and, and, and you can't breathe because it's different than, than out here. And I think they had some crazy record at the time where they hadn't lost in it. And I don't remember what the record was, but they had some long winning streak there um, at the pit and and what it was it was a four-team tournament it was it was new mexico us samford and i forget the fourth team and they had us play obviously new mexico because they assumed they were going to beat us because they were trying to set it up to put them in the finals and man we we just we played well and and but as as a freshman to have that be your first game kind of get thrown into the fire it, it was I can't even honestly. It's hard to explain because I, I couldn't breathe out there. <laughs> uh, this, my hands were, my palms are sweaty the entire game. I think I might have made a layup or two. I don't even remember, but it was, it w- it was awesome. No, um, and then to go win the championship out there and celebrate something that Dayton hadn't experienced in a while—just winning a championship. Right? I mean, it was yeah. that kind of got our season kicked off the right way.
2: Yeah, and in these days, um, that'll never happen again, right? Because UD like always opens up against Indiana State now, or you know somebody at home <laughs> that they can come in and, yeah. and they can get the wheels greased, right? Yeah. Yeah, good um, I talked to Ryan Mikesell in April. We were talking about his whole career at UD and her, his first game. He dropped twenty one against Alabama A and M. You know he just got hot, and you know you're playing Alabama A and M. You can get buckets against them, <laughs> <Right>. but. <laughs> but <laughs> back in those days, I mean, and even I think the entire time you were in school and then through the mid 2000s, I mean, the, the non-con slate was loaded. Like that freshman year, Absolutely. you got to go play Kentucky. You played Marquette. You went at St. Louis. Texas A&M came to the arena. Um, you know, they're, they're big time programs on that list. So you guys were real battle tested. But I feel like OP probably always set things up so that you were battle tested and ready for conference play, right? Yeah, he did
3: and and what you have to remember, you kind of used the mic cell reference to to getting getting buckets to get to a- A&M. Well, for for a while people looked at Dayton as M. You know
2: yeah, what I mean? Like, you get buckets <laughs> against
3: Dayton, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were that, and then we surprised people that freshman year. We started that year off like 13 and 0 or something crazy like that. And yep. and and um, but but yeah, OP did a great job. Like I think he knew like like the the secret the, the the country didn't know. O.P. knew when, when he got those final pieces in. I came in that freshman year and, you know, t- Tony Stanley was ready to kind of take off and lead. And it was just O.P. knew what was coming. So I think that's why he loaded up that schedule. Because you got to remember, he he had to be strategic because people, people lose their jobs.
2: So, oh, yeah.
3: so it would have been very risky to load up coming off of, you know, a, a, a mediocre four or five year run. So I think OP saw what was coming before everyone else did, to give him credit.
2: Yeah, yeah, he did. And that 2000 year, um, I said it to Larry Hansgen um, on our first show, but the 2000 year was kind of like when the Dayton program came back. You know, from the from the yeah. like the depths of the unknown. Right. Like you had that that two year stretch where they had won like six games and the 2000 year you guys snuck your way into the tournament. I mean, that yeah. was really kind of the start of what you see today. Right. Like, I don't Absolutely. think anything is possible in 2020 that we've gotten to now if that team doesn't get to the tournament and kind of get over the hump. Right. Absolutely. Um so y- you mentioned that you guys started hot, which was true. Um, but you guys did lose to Fordham that year. How's that happen, bro? You lost to Fordham? Come on, son. <laughs> oh, <man>. Listen. <laughs> hey, where was that at? Was that at home or there? It was at Rose Hill Gym. It was like the second that, third game of conference play that year. Yeah. That's why.
3: That's why. Because you play you 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 play in a little dungeon. You gotta remember too. <laughs> yeah, 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 we started off hot and, and went, but but we still weren't used to winning like people don't understand it it, it takes a certain mindset to be consistently good over over stretch right so so we started off hot but then you start feeling yourself a little bit you know you start thinking you're better than you are and you get punched in the mouth by somebody you wasn't you wasn't expecting and and so Fordham perfect example you go into Fordham there's there's 27 people in the gym it's a dungeon (laughs) it's it's hard to get up for those games you know and and if you're not yeah. one of those teams that are that are that's mentally tough man you you drop those kind of games and and that that yeah. happened to us a few times that year, man,
2: yeah, and that's why we talked about all year um and a g did such a good job of this, I know you were around him, like you know how he is. he was like, "Hey, you know our goal is not to go four and oh, hey, the goal is not to go eight zero. hey, the goal is not to go twelve, sixteen and zero. like the goal was always to win every game, and to your point, I think everybody saw it as such a lofty goal because. Of exactly what you said, when you play in the A ten, now we don't claim to be the Big East, we don't claim to be the Big Ten, but you know, if you don't come ready on any given night, like you can get snuck up on, and yeah. and that you know that's happened year after year. Um, you know, Gregory kind of had those those woes coming down the stretch in February. He always seemed to lose a couple of games that Dayton shouldn't, right? Yeah. Um, but. You know, coming down that we're talking about the the 2000 season right now, um, where Dayton went to the tournament. But before we we get to that, um, you had to go to Xavier for the first time, and it was one of the closest games you guys ever played at Xavier, lost in OT uh, right before they opened the Cintas Center. So for the younger listeners, you know, it, it almost pains me that kids that graduated post 2014 really have zero like, context around the rivalry, but when you played at Xavier for the first time, what was the message from the team? You know, what was that game like? What do you remember from that first time at Xavier? I mean, it's war. It's war,
3: especially for for
2: a high school kid. You know, I was coming
3: out of high school, and you, you got your little high school rivalries, and everybody thinks it you know, those are, those are intense. And no, those are cute compared to college, <laughs> rivalry. Like you, you get to college and it, it is legitimate war. It's you go from your high school rivalries where it's, it's 16, 17 year old kids playing, you know, fighting, fighting it out. These are grown men <laughs> going yeah, yeah. Out. And, and they actually can't stand each other. And, and so the intensity, the energy in the, in the, in the arena, the, the, the actual hate you feel the hate from the crowd now they may yeah. be cool with you after the game maybe but it's legitimate dislike for you and yeah. you. but you and you can feel it so then yeah. you got to take on that like us against the world mentality um and, and I just man there's nothing like it that no one and I feel bad for the people that didn't that don't get to experience that Dayton Xavier rivalry I mean yeah. there's just no game like that so, but, totally but yeah, agree. but man, but going in there though, yeah. So that's what it was that as a freshman too, I, I was shell shocked. I mean, it was, and remember I told you I was young. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't turn 18 until July. So I was a young freshman getting thrown into that Dayton Xavier rivalry. I mean, it was, it was brutal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a quick aside. So um Xavier came into to the arena in 2010. This would have been my sophomore year. And we had a whiteout. Um, I believe they bought like towels. So, you know, it was extra rowdy, right? Everybody's like yeah. coming, coming ready to tear their heads off. And um, I, I used to, we had a pregame ritual. I was in the first, first two rows for the last like three years I was on campus. And um, we always would get to the arena. We had these little like lipstick type of face paint things that we, we would bring in with us. And we would get to the arena early. We would set our stuff down and we'd go up to the bathroom in the concourse and we'd paint our faces. We did this every game. And a lot of the old guys up there that always have to take a piss before the game, like they all knew us. You know, they have their routine. We have our routine, right? So I remember there was a Xavier game that we go up there. We're painting our faces like normal. And this old guy comes up after taking a piss, and he goes, give those bastards hell down there. I can't stand those fuckers. (laughs) Like that. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this guy is fired up,
3: man. Probably the most excited he had been all year, you know? Yeah man I'm gonna tell you like so my dad 63 I don't know 250 big big dude big dude and but but like a gentle giant laid back he, he it's hard to get him fired up at Xavier my senior year I believe um it got so intense from their student section my dad went up in in their stands like went up in their student section <laughs> And, and check, like, check the kid that had crossed the line. You know, I, I, I don't know what he said, I don't remember, but literally, my dad went up there, told him to shut his mouth. Kid didn't say a word the rest of the game, but but that's nothing's off limits, man. In Dayton's xavier games, crazy, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm, I'm glad two Holloway's mother wasn't in the arena all those years because she, she would have had something to say to me for sure. Man. <laughs> after, after like tw- 10 to 12 pregame beers on campus, like, I'll say just about anything in the second row. So, yeah, sure. hey, hey, it's how it goes, man. It goes. Yeah. Um, so, all right, we, we we definitely spent a lot of time on the 2000 year. But, I mean, it it really did kind of set up, um, not, not like your trajectory for the program, but, you know, it set up the day and program for years to come. And, and I think, you know, the program was able to build consistently after that. Um, maybe not as quickly as we all wanted to, but, you know, it did build just one step at a time. Um you guys were coming down the stretch put together a good year 21 and 7 unceremoniously got bounced in the A10 tournament so it goes in Dayton unfortunately but um selection Sunday as a freshman you know you guys you see your name and in the old days there were no leaks there was you turn on the television and you pray to god that you see your name um what was that selection Sunday like where were you guys what what was that all about Uh, nothing, nothing like it. I want
3: to say we were, where did we watch that? I think a coach's house. Um, like the tradition now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but, but I don't, we didn't, we weren't sure. Right. Because we started off hot. I mean, we even cracked the top 25 first time in a long time that Dayton had hit the top 25, but then we had a very average conference year conference Mm -hmm. season. And so we weren't sure that Dayton was going to get in, especially because we didn't have that built up. Uh, reputation to where you kind of get the benefit of the doubt right like we yep. so we thought we 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 wouldn't get in and so when that name popped up for us to play Purdue man it was I, I really there wasn't a there wasn't a feeling like it um a whole lot of mixed emotions all all good emotions but a whole lot of mixed ones uh because we knew the wars we went through we knew uh a lot of people didn't believe in us we we just so to to have, and then we also know we didn't play well. So we thought we might've missed the opportunity. So to, to see that we actually get a chance to keep playing and we knew what it meant to the city. Like that was another thing to, yeah to, to the fans. And so, to and then we love, we loved the draw. We, we thought we can beat Purdue. yeah And so it's so bad. It was, you know, I was Brian Cardinal. I don't know if people remember Brian Cardinal and, and those boys, but so the draw was perfect. It was just set up to do something at Dayton that hadn't been done in a long time. So and we, we were excited.
2: Yeah. And, and looking back on that game um, again, I, I always try to, to put context around it. Dayton, Dayton lost a heartbreaker by one. <clears throat> um, I never put that game on you Brooks, just so we know. Uh, so there was, there was a play coming, there was a play coming down the stretch where uh, you got filed, went to the line, Dayton was oh, down man. two, you made one, but, I never put that game on you, Brooks, because Tony couldn't hit a shot to save his life. And it's funny, like now 20 years looking back, it seems like like in every big game that Dayton's played, somebody just goes ice cold and can't hit. And what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about is like um, so there's Charles Cook recently when we played Wichita, he just he went ice cold that night in the tournament. Right. If you go back a little bit further um at the florida game you know the, the team just couldn't hit a shot that night even the syracuse game they weren't really great that elite eight year it seems like there's like this pattern of every time dayton gets on the big stage some guy you can't afford just can't hit shots but um you know what do you remember from that game looking back man
3: Nah, in to, to give context to what you're talking about where you say you don't you don't blame me so so we were up the whole game i mean yeah we were yeah. we were an, we were an 11 seed Purdue was a six seed we're out in arizona um big time game and uh we're literally winning the entire game mm-hmm. and and then they go on there and start to make their run because they were a good team and and they they cut they end up taking the lead so they're up two on us and and coach draws up a play for me freshman and and i forget what the play was called I thing I came off an a way double screen to get me open and Took the shot and missed, but got my own rebound and got fouled, like you said. Go to the line. And, and I was a confident freshman now. Like, I had a very good freshman year, all A-10 rookie team, an average 10 a game, did really well. So I go to the line, and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to knock these down. Yeah. Ca- cash the first one. Like, just go up there and knock it down. If you watch the – you know, in, in black and white, because it was that long ago. If you watch the game <laughs> – I look over at coach. I was so confident I was going to knock the shot and I'm like, "Hey coach, what what defense are we in after after I make this shot?" Instead of staying locked in and just knocking down the shot, right? So, yeah. man, I look over at him, come back off the back of the rim. Now, mind you, what, what people don't remember, people always uh, remember that free throw and I beat myself up for it even to this day. There were still 30 seconds left in the game.
2: Yeah plenty, yeah.
3: plenty of time to still, you know, get it done, but but man, that free throw <laughs> It was huge. We make that ties it up. It it changes the course of the game. So it, I put it on me.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you I think you have the best perspective of anybody uh, in the program to just tell people how much of a crapshoot the NCAA tournament is. Right. Because that's all it oh, takes. No, no, no. You got one guy that's cold. You hit one shot down the stretch. You miss one shot down the stretch. You're heading home. Right. Yeah, you and we'll get to it but I, I i got cold my senior year and
3: i know we'll get to that senior year um <laughs> when when we were the you know four seed i don't want to give all that away but yeah and and i i didn't hit shots that game and i was that was a big piece of what made us go so it's just yeah. every, you're right every time man big stage something just goes wrong Some,
2: something you know just one step away from from putting the nail in the coffin yeah so um The offseason of 2000, um, something fairly still interesting to this day that is kind of gone by the wayside because, you know, it's it's ancient history at this point. But in April, right after you guys got home from the tournament a couple weeks later, um, the NCAA put Dayton on probation and it was tied to some things that they allegedly said, you know, impermissible benefits that happened around you. Um, what, what was that all about? Like, what, what was that situation? How did you find out? I mean, that had to kind of put a damper on your off season to be like, you know, Oh shit. Like what's going on with the program now?
3: Nah. So, so actually it was, um, it, it was before that it was before I came into my freshman year that it was hot it, that the investigation and all that was going on. Um, what I don't remember is maybe they, they came down with the sanctions after, but, That's a whole nother hour segment. So I'll give you the crash. (laughs) I went down with that. So my, my, and the reason I say it's an hour segment, because I, in order to set the table for that, I would have to go into my, my growing up, my parents divorcing and my dad and all like that, that actually ties into the story. But, but what I will say, uh, parents split when I was 12, um, ended up living with my dad at the time, um, unexpectedly my, my mom sent me to live with my dad after. So when they split, I lived with my mom for a few months mm-hmm. and she decided, you know, couldn't do it, didn't want to, whatever. And I love my mom, by the way, like we, we've restored that relationship. So I need to say that. But but at the time, sent me with my dad. Well, my dad had gone from making, you know, $60,000 a year in the factory, which back then was decent money, mm-hmm. um, to wanting to go back to school and, and actually got his degree, his master's later at psychology, but went back to school. Well, he took a $40,000 pay cut because he didn't think that he was going to have his kids with him full time. Well, surprise, here I am. Yeah. And and then later, my younger brother, about two years later, came. So my dad making 25000 or so a year with two kids and trying to survive. So I, I say all that to say we he did whatever we had to do to survive through high school. Now, what I, what as, as a kid, I didn't know what type of struggle we were in financially. You don't ask your parents. I, you just- nah. You know what I'm saying? You just That's whatever that you comes up, yeah. Exactly. So, so fast forward, uh, we we bounced around actually for a few years, from city to city, and you know, home to home, girlfriend to girlfriend, whatever, where wherever we were living. I think I went to five schools in two years. Um, and so, what ended up happening? Uh, my going into my senior year of high school, we moved to a um, we get a new home because we were living with one of my dad's girlfriends. He's like, "Hey, we're moving to a, a new home in Troy." All right, cool. You don't ask your dad. Hey, where do you get the money for that, dad? What do you, you, you just You move. So uh, I'll never forget it, man. I'm sitting at this new home in Troy and my dad says, hey, uh, this is like like nine o'clock at night and it's dark out. I don't remember what I was doing. He said, hey, son, he said, uh, there's some people that's going to come over and talk to you. Uh, they're going to ask you some questions. Um, just answer everything, honestly. And, you know, uh, I'll talk to you after they leave. So these people come, and I'm talking suits came. Knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> have a up. movie, man. Yeah, I'm telling you. Suited <laughs> up, ties. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? So they the, the questions they ask me, hey, how do you know this person or that person? Or, you know, what's your relationship with this? Just random questions to me because I don't know what's going on. Bro, so Men I'm, in Black had just came out. You could have I, Will Smith. You don't know. You know? Picture that. <laughs> Seriously, that, that, that's the scene. <laughs> like, like, I'm getting interrogated. And, and I'm like, okay. But they were nice. But it was just... Yeah. Why are you asking me who this person is and that person? So, so very long story short, they leave. My dad says, all right, hey, son, I'm um, going to give you this heads up tomorrow in the news. um, it, It's about to come out that I received some money from Clay Mattill uh, and who Clay Matil is. He's this billionaire, uh, Dayton alum, own I'm's, I'm's pet. I don't know if people know who i food is and all kinds yeah. of stuff, man. He just real good dude. But, but he had heard about my dad's struggle. And and he actually gave my dad um, some money to put a down payment on that home mm-hmm. that that got us out of bouncing around from girlfriend to girlfriend. What people don't know is that was self and so so Clay Matilde was just telling Coach Purnell, um, "Hey, Coach Purnell, you know I helped Brooks Hall's dad out." And Purnell was basically like, "Hey, uh, I don't think you can do that." And so <laughs> so Purnell actually called the NCAA and and self reported it um so so that's how all that came out I knew nothing about it so the NCAA did their investigation combed through it all that and and that's why I never lost any eligibility that's why like they didn't hammer Dayton I mean I know we we were put on probation we lost a couple scholarships but there was no postseason band mm-hmm. because once they did their investigation they realized it was it was actually an honest innocent you know Situation that I didn't receive any money for, so yeah. that's kind of a quick. You get why I said that could go an hour long because there's a lot more to it. Yeah. But, but, but that's what happened, man.
2: Yeah, well, it's been, um and I don't think it's it's any secret that like over the decades, um the NCA has tried fruitlessly to like crack down on payments being sent to recruits and you know why they went to schools and whatnot. And in your era, like in that ten year period, unfortunately the NCA was grasping its straws a lot to come down with these sanctions. Right. Um, the SMU football thing happened in 1990 and everybody said after that, that it would never happen again. You can't cancel a program again um, just under their circumstance. I mean, their instance was obviously so bad, but the point I'm getting at is that in basketball, I feel like they tried to take like little small steps to like curtail what was going on because it was pretty obvious recruits were getting paid left and right. And it's still to this day, But unfortunately, what ended up happening in that era was guys got slapped with a bunch of ticky tack probationary things. And Dayton was the same way. They took one scholarship. They took one uh, expenses paid recruiting trip. um, And then, of course, you know, kind of the end of that fallout era where it reached a tipping point was, of course, the Reggie Bush thing where, you know, they slapped him and took away his Heisman trophy because... What his parents like took some money from a guy or like somebody paid for his dinners you know just some random crap yeah. um so you know I never I never knew the context around that that um that situation but again you know I was like ten years old like all I knew was that there was like something that was on Dayton that was like very small but again like you said it didn't really hinder the program any um and you know I think you guys kind of you know were able to just kind of ignore that and move on to the next season of course so that next season, um, you went out to Maui for the first time, and a lot of people don't know this, but you beat UConn. You lost to Arizona, who was number one in the country at the time, and then you guys ended up beating Maryland, who went to the national title that year and lost to Duke. Um, you know, the team with with Steve uh, Steve Blake. I mean, that was like you know one of the best Maryland teams of all time. Yeah, and. So you guys had that, that hot start, you could play with anybody. You came home to the arena lost to Cincinnati and then a stinker to Marshall. As you, you know, you look back at like sophomore year, it really felt like you guys had all the pieces and then something went wrong. Yeah, so so that hot start and
3: that's what put us on the map. You you referenced the first year kind of the, the trajectory changed by our that freshman year. It was like, okay, Dayton, let's keep an eye on them and then that hot start at Maui. We Came were right. Oh, my God. We, hey, we were the, um, the the talk of the nation after that, even even not winning it because that Maui field was loaded. Yeah. So we started off by beating UConn, who was 11th or 12th. You might have said that. So they were 13th. Me. Yeah. OK, they were 13. And then Arizona didn't blow us out like they ran away late, but it was actually mm-hmm. a fairly competitive game. Mm-hmm. um and then you know to come back and then beat number six maryland i believe um so yep. so so to come home two and one from that brutal field three ranked teams people were like okay they're, they're for real and then came back and lost to a tough uc team and and yep. then i think we were deflated after that because again i went i said it earlier you start feeling yourself a little bit thinking you're, you're better than you are and and so when when uc beat us I, we didn't take Marshall seriously. We're like, okay, cool. You see beat us. We're gonna smack Marshall. They had a guy named Tamar Slay. He was a monster. He, he was a a he, he he I think he ended up going to the NBA. He passed away. You know, rest rest in peace. But but he came in and, and and they just gave us buckets. They played with no fear. And and that was that sophomore year was a really frustrating year. And then I started dealing with injuries. I don't know if mm-hmm. we want getting all that, but you know they talk about a sophomore slump. Anytime you have a really good freshman year, there's always a danger of having a sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. Man, I had it. I, I dealt with stress fracture in my leg, missed a few games. I, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't myself for that sophomore year. And 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 man, looking back, if there was one year that I wish I could have back, it would be it would be my sophomore season.
2: <clears throat> yeah, and it's funny when now I look at that roster because. That, like you said, you want it back, right? But that roster was the perfect um, example of the old guard passing it on to the guys that could get it done, right? And yeah. what I'm talking about was like, you had Tony Stanley on his way out, who was one of the better scorers that we had in that era. um, And you had Yonta, who was on his way out as well. But then, you know, the young guys were the guys that carried the program for three years after that. I mean, between you, Keith, Nate Green, Ramad Marshall, um, Sean Finn, I mean, you know, you guys were the program for those next four years. So as, as you know, hindsight always gives you a little bit better perspective. But I always saw that year kind of like you said, there was some bad things that happened, but it was kind of like a passing of the guard of like, hey, Dayton is in a better position now than we were when we got here. Now you guys have to take it to the next level, and and it kind of feels like that's what exactly what happened after that two thousand two year or two thousand one year rather was that you guys kind of said, all right, you know, we're not going to be little old Dayton anymore. You know, we're going to take steps to be you know a, a national power, um, or you know, just at least be relevant in the conference right. every year where you're fighting for a title, but. I think one thing that I do want to put context around uh, for listeners is how tough the a 10 was in those days. And, and, and what I mean by that is not only did you have Xavier who was, you know, they were perennially on the top of the table in the a 10 every year. Temple was always, always brought a good team to UD and St. Joe's was getting into their glory years, you know, where they had like probably their best years ever. Um, You know, I guess you could speak to it better than I can, but in the, in those years, man, it, you weren't a whole lot of off nights in the A ten. I mean, every other night you were playing somebody that was probably going to the tournament. Yeah, well, you made a joke about Fordham earlier,
3: and, and and Fordham was one of the they were terrible back then. But but after they're always Fordham, terrible, always terrible, man. But but after Fordham back then, you it was Dayton's always. They, I'm sorry, the A ten has always been top heavy. Like like every <clears> year, the top couple of teams are always really good. But back then, there were four. Always four heavy hitters, and then the middle of the pack, they weren't your scrub middle of the pack. I Anybody mean, could were, beat you, yeah, yeah, man. Like, like George Washington had a guy named Chris Monroe who was a monster. Um, and and Sir Valiant Brown, is it you? Does that name oh, someone? I
2: remember that guy,
3: yeah, yeah man, yeah, yeah. He, he was like a miniature Allen Iverson freshman year, averaged like 24 a game or something. I mean, and the list can go on, I can go through each team, but but it was the it was a gauntlet. and – and the problem, and, and we deal with it now at Dayton. The problem is, the A ten doesn't get a lot of respect. So, yeah. if we lose to George Washington back then, yeah, it was a we understood it. They're a good team, but but that RPI didn't understand it, and and, and the voters yeah. didn't understand it. You know, so losing to a George Washington could crush your resume, even though they're a yeah. good team. And, yeah. and it's just that's how it is, man.
2: Yeah, and and in I guess. In those days it was even more prominent because the RPI was like an outdated model back then. Like it just it it never gave you accurate results and it was for the exact reasons that you talked about. Like it didn't really respect any teams that were outside of that power five. But you have to understand too, coming from I'm talking to the listeners, like in 2020, why was Dayton relevant? They were relevant because we were on SportsCenter like every other night. I mean, it was like, oh hey, check out the latest dunks from Obi. And what I'm getting at is in those days, like that didn't exist. I mean, I tell people constantly, like I grew up in Pittsburgh. There were probably three days a year where I could watch the Flyers on television nationally. You know, it was the Thanksgiving tournament. I was lucky to get like one non-conference game and then the home and away for Xavier. And that was the only games that I was seeing if you lived outside of Dayton. So that part like it fed into it so much because you don't get outside influences standing for your program. You know, you didn't like we had so many writers by February that were like, Hey, if you haven't watched these flyers, like you better watch them, man. And you guys just didn't have any of that buzz back then. You know, it was like beat great Xavier point. on ESPN two or see you next year.
3: Yep. Yep. No, that's that's a that's a great point. And then throw social media on top of that. Yeah, um, and like he doesn't have that. It was like reading the newspaper every day. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. And so it was hard for people to. So, perfect example. My senior year. And I I won't jump too far ahead, but that no, no, that good. that team was as good as the Flyers team this year. Now, any team we've ever had. Any team. Oh, I'll, man, I'll say that it, really. that senior team, I, I, my my senior year, we absolutely would have competed. It would have been a good game against the Flyers this year. Um <clears throat> and I'm not saying we were the third best team in the country. I'm just talking about our roster. But we but nationally people did not know that. Now, we ended up getting a 4 seed in the tournament because the people that you know, the committee did their their homework, but I'm talking about on a national level. Just just fans. Fans had no idea who we were. Now, if if you would have taken that year, my senior year and put us into in 2020, everybody would have been talking about us. Yep. I mean, we we were we had everything. That team was loaded. So mm-hmm. to your point, that's a great point. The, the coverage is is a lot different.
2: Yeah, it just it it makes all the difference. Um, in those two years, and I'm talking about o one o two, like your sophomore, junior year, you guys missed the tournament, and you by the time you got, got to your screwed, senior year, by you, the way, we got screwed. Which, by the way, we oh, and, in two thousand two, you're saying my. Um, which year was it? my junior year for sure? Yeah, because you guys lost to Xavier in the A ten tournament and then just missed out on the bubble, right? Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I honestly, I'm sorry to cut you. All. I just, no. it's, it, yeah. I, I honestly think we should have made it all four years. You know, we had a good resume, especially especially in my sophomore year. I know we had a couple clunkers, but man, we had some big wins
0: yeah. <laughs> back then. Yeah.
3: You know, but but anyway, yeah. It just, I hate we, our bubble got. In my junior year, too, I feel like we should have made it my junior year but but again they they that history there there's a sense of biasness to it. If you don't have a long standing history, you don't get the benefit of the doubt with those yeah, bubbles
2: yeah and in those those days that's exactly what it was you you had to have eyes on you um and the big East was always in an advantage because the big right. East had nationally televised games for a decade before that um right Right. Those teams are always on television. You're always seeing John Thompson. You're always seeing Bayheim. You were, you know, all those guys had become staples of college basketball. And Dayton was always kind of fighting for that relevance on the other side of the fence. Yep. Um, do, you, do you feel like those two years kind of prepared you for the success you had senior year? And all I mean by that was, you know, the years didn't go the way you wanted. Like you said, you had injuries. You went to the NIT both years. Um, you know, weren't able to make it to the finals, even in the NIT. Like, did The sour taste in your mouth make you hungrier for that last year, knowing it was your last go round. Absolutely, man.
3: And it's funny. There's so many, (laughs) there's so many ways this conversation can go. Um, (laughs) You talked about not making the the finals in the NIT. That's a whole separate segment in that because I know, right? Hey, listen, half our team wanted to boycott that. Half our team didn't want to play. Wait, so what's
2: the conversation (laughs) like? Like OP comes into the room and he's like, all right, boys, like we're headed to the NIT. Then what happens? Tony Stanley. And I I'll, I'll throw him under the bus. This isn't but he was so
3: <laughs> mad we didn't make the tournament. After Op said that and walked out, we had a players only meeting, and he was like, "Man, I'm not playing at nit." Like I think we <laughs> <laughs> I think we should boycott it for real, and and had like four or five guys really thinking about not playing. And then so and after Tony Robert, was a senior, so he would have been done, right? Yeah, yeah, he was done. He was like, "I'm I'm out." So so. Very long story short, after a lot of back and forth and debate, we ended up playing in it. But what what do you think our mindset was going in? I mean, that's why we lost to Tennessee Tech at home. One day. I, mean, that, <laughs> I, was, I was gonna yeah. ask you about that. I'm like, how the hell did Date lose to Tennessee Tech? <laughs> that, that's why we weren't even trying. We weren't even trying to play. Like it was just, <laughs> it, it's crazy. A lot of behind the scenes stuff. But but anyway, man, my bad. Get back. What was your original question?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was saying like you know just having those years not go the way you wanted um and 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 of course like I I try my best to like paint it for for listeners that maybe just like don't know the story I mean old timers are probably getting sick and be like all right we know what happened like get to the good stuff (laughs) but but, um you know at that time like like I said the old guard was kind of passing it to the new guard and like your junior senior year um you know Ramad, Keith, Sean like they were all turning into the players that they yep. were going to be. And Nate yep. was, you know, Nate, DJ came in as a transfer. You had Mark Jones who contributed as a freshman. I mean, you had to see that, like, the writing was on the wall, that this senior team was going to be your best one. And and that's why I asked, like, had the two years prior and and having some failure in your mouth, like, did, yep. did it kind of make you a little bit hungrier?
3: Now, that's a great question. and And absolutely. So what a lot of people don't remember about, that senior year, and and we ended up being a four seed, which is aside from this this year, you know Dayton's team, man, that's one one of the highest, highest seeds ever. ever highest know? ever, yep. Okay, so but what people don't remember about that season, man, we started off that year three and three. Mm-hmm. We finished twenty five and six, but we were three and three, and 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 I'll never forget it. We were at Old Dominion, our seventh game of the year, and Old Dominion, that's where where Oliver Purnell came from. That game meant a lot to him. And, and we, we were, we were three and three and we were losing that game. Like, I think we were down double digits at one point mm-hmm. and we made this, this big second half surge and came back and won. And then that, that catapulted us to that 25 and six record. I mean, we went on a tear, but my point to that is that's that mental toughness I, I referenced earlier. We had built that up because of what you said, you know, we've, we'd had a lot of failures and we had the right makeup of guys that were, were, were mentally tough. Ramad, tough as nails. Nate Green will tear your head off. Keith, Keith Wallacekowski. You know myself. We just had a group of tough guys. So, in when we were three and three, it could have gone one of two ways. We could lose it, Old Dominion, and probably would have spiraled out of control. Or we we can suck it up, get that big win, and win twenty five games and be a four seed. And that's what happened.
2: And of course, uh, you guys went to Old Dominion on a Friday night. And then Sunday afternoon, you came back home. And I'm going to play the clip. The following is a clip courtesy of WHIO and can be found on YouTube by conveniently searching Dayton vs. Villanova buzzer beater. Mike Hartsock and Mark Adams are on the call.
1: 20 seconds left. Villanova going to go for the final shot. Buchanan backing in against Brooks Hall. Can't shake him. Nine seconds. Buchanan loses the ball. Wallace picks it up to Jones. Jones to Hall. Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Brooks Hall hits it at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers beat Villanova 80 to 78. My goodness. In the day, Decibel Dungeon as Brooks Hall picks up the loose ball. Keith Walskowski comes up with it on the opposite end, brings it up for as a point guard, tries to get it to Mark Jones. Jones tips it back to Hall, and Hall knocks it down. Now the officials are checking to see if there's any
2: time left on the clock. Would you say as the biggest shot you ever hit in your career? Against yeah, Villanova yeah. at home, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, was yeah. Walk through the play, man, because because I've had it on the on the front of the show now for three years, and I think some people like don't even know like what game it references because so long ago. But yeah. um, I asked Keith the same thing about that play. It was a broken play. You guys are coming down the floor, but what do you remember about like that game, that moment, that night? So
3: so same thing. It was we were fresh off of that that old that old Dominion win, hard fought win, come back Villanova. Jay, young jay wright at the time i believe he was there um and they had a guy named gary buchanan they actually were really good they were an underachieving team because they had a loaded roster uh there was B- jay
2: wright's second year i had to go look it up go ahead okay so so
3: and had a guy named gary buchanan man he was a certified bucket i mean he was a scorer. and then i think they had uh i can't remember the other guard they had it ended up going to the nba and a couple they were good um and th- and they gave us fits, man. It was a, I think they might have been leading like most of the game, and we didn't play great. Um, coming off of that emotional win at Old Dominion, and and so what I remember we finally started chipping away, chipping away, uh, and and came back and tied it up late in the game, and Gary Buchanan, so I'm guarding Gary Buchanan. He has the ball, and he calls for a a ball screen, and and I was staying with him, staying with him, and then he 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 goes to drive middle. And and the guy came in and set an illegal screen. It was really quick. He he clips me a little bit, but the refs didn't call it. So I tried to flop and sell a moving screen. <laughs> didn't get the call. <laughs> but nowadays I I'm, get called. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> so what you see if you watch the clip, Ramard Marshall gets his hand in there and strips Buchanan. Um, I think Keith gets the ball, or some somehow Keith gets it, dribbles up the court like a point guard. Yeah, Keith's and, leading the break. I'm
2: like, oh my god, it's gonna go bad now.
3: <laughs> oh, and then Keith tried to throw this pat and almost chucks it into the stands. And, and Mark, <laughs> hey, we give him a hard time about this. And then Mark saves it to me. So a funny clip or a, a funny part of that. If you watch my feet, man, I travel. I move my pivot foot, and slide then it wide like, open underneath the bucket. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Why he wide, wide open? I travel. I split two defenders. And, uh, you know, luckily, man, the shot went down. But, but just the, why that was a big shot. What, Villanova was not like a top 25 team then. They were just a good yeah. team, but like I said, underachieving. But what was big about it, again, it was the second game in a row where it took some mental toughness to get the win. You get what I'm saying? So, yeah. so that win after the ODU win and then to win at home the way we did, all was over with after that. We, we were rolling.
2: Yeah, yeah, and um, and you guys got to go to Cameron Indoor that uh, that next week, um, which was pretty cool. I think we've been to Cameron Indoor like twice since 2000. That was one of the one of the times. Um, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. Um, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how Dane's going to end up at Duke again, but well, no, no, they're not getting invited. Yeah. <laughs> <Never. laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you're right. You know, after you guys finished the eight and three non-con, and you know the losses were were a bad one to Miami and then a decent St. Louis team, and then you lost at Duke. So coming out of that <clears throat> non-con an eight and three, you know, it was certainly nothing to hang your hat on. But then from there, like I had said earlier, Temple always had a good team, right? Uh, St. Joe's had just gotten done with their one seed year with Jameer Nelson, Delonte West, the best team they ever had. And you guys had to know at that time that like, this is the year we're going to take the conference if we're going to take it. You know, did you have that mentality going into the year where you're like, this is the best team we have, and this is our conference now? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we had
3: big, lofty goals that year. And, you know, everybody, everyone says it. They say uh, championship, you know, NCAA, they have all these lofty goals. But, but you but, know. But deep down, right, do you, you really believe it, right? No, we we really believe we had best. We thought we were top 25 team, which we were by the end of the year. I think we finished. 15, 16 something like that 16 but, yeah but we knew we had every piece you needed mm-hmm. we had veteran leadership we had size I mean we were huge with, with that was probably the
2: biggest team Dayton's ever had like in my yeah. life at least I can't remember a team ever being bigger than that I mean let's go what
3: Finn seven foot Wallace Kelsey, six six nine I was six six ish um you know we had green at six five DJ Stelly. anyway we were big yeah, big you know um but yeah so we knew that this was our year and and when I tell you we went to Cameron and and when the way we played there, we gave them a game. And if it wasn't for JJ Reddick catching fire, and when <laughs> I say that, I guess what catching fire for JJ is actually just normal for JJ Reddick. Yeah, yeah. So, but but man, if JJ doesn't have a good shooting night, we actually beat Duke. If uh, people don't remember that. It was a good game and JJ ended up hitting us for 26 and caught fire in the second half. Mm-hmm. So we were on I mean we were super confident so we knew that the the A10 was in trouble cuz we just we we just believed in ourselves.
2: Yep and, and that's exactly what it was. Um and of all the years growing up watching the Flyers team like that's the one I always remember the most. Um and, and for obvious reason um I bet you never thought you'd be sitting here in 2020 with that being the last time we won the A10 tournament but um <laughs> I mean you know here we are. Um but that that year uh, you guys went sixteen and two in the conference, and or I guess it was fourteen and two back then. You're playing sixteen yeah. games, and um, you took the hard loss at Xavier, oh. but the the game the game that I always remember this game, and it was one of those games that solidified hatred for me as a little kid because you know you gotta you gotta hate your rivals when you're a little kid, right, right, right. And I'll never forget watching David West drop that was a forty some points. And Xavier wins by one at the arena. And I can still see him taking that shot, starting at the free throw line, going to the elbow, and winning the game for Xavier. Like I always wanted to get your perspective on that day because, like you said, you guys went into the year being like, this is our conference. And sure enough, Xavier just fucking found a way to win two games. And to this day, I hate David West. I don't know him. I don't know nothing about him. I never met him in person. But oh my god, I hate that guy. I saw him get a ring for the Warriors a couple years ago, and it just made me so angry. I was like, oh, I still hate that guy. I'm a 30 year old man, I still hate.
3: That guy. Hey man, nah. But it's, it's, we talked about it earlier, man, the the rivalry that people can't. If you didn't experience it, it was real hatred. And yeah. so here's a. This might you know kill <laughs> kill your thoughts about it. But I was actually friends with those guys off the court. I mean, yeah. I, I would actually go to Xavier and hang out with them. With David, <laughs> so, so I, I don't want to, you know, kill Wolfram the men. Me is
2: dying somewhere right now. Yeah, <laughs> my bad, <man>. My <laughs>
3: bad, man. Hey, but on the
2: court, I hated him.
3: Does that does that help?
2: Oh no, yeah, no, I get that. Now, like I said, like now that I'm an adult, of like oh man, that was it was probably silly, but yeah, go on. Yeah, so so there was two
3: stories, and 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 you you mixed you combined the two. So the the game where David West hit us for like 47 points and 25 rebounds was at Xavier. Okay, and yeah, and, okay. and the reason I know that is because and then hopefully you you gave Keith a hard time in your interview because because that's who David scored about forty of those forty seven on and we yeah. clown <laughs> we clown Keith to this day about it but but the strategy actually worked it was okay we're gonna let him get his and make the rest of those guys beat us and and so that David West got his I mean that was a matter of fact we say that that got him player of the year that that one game right there is with, yeah. was solidified his player of the year but. But the strategy worked because we were we were in the game. We were winning a good part of the game. And then we just choked. Right. And then at home, that was that one point game that you're talking about with the, the shot at the free throw line. And yep. it, it was just a heartbreaker both ways because Xavier was really good and they had they had dominated the league for a while. But we knew we had a better team. And so you want to talk about heartbreaking losses, man, even to this day, that that one hurts. Even though we won the A ten championship, the tournament, mm-hmm. we wanted that outright mm-hmm. league title because it was Xavier. Like we just wanted to take it from them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and it's funny you talk about the, the A ten championship. How long did that thing last at at Dayton? Two years. <laughs> two, two years. <laughs> we knew when we found out we were hosting, we laughed because we knew and then we won it. We, we knew it'll never come back, ever.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right, and, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I, I don't, I don't remember like what the hell I was doing that weekend, um, but I remember where I was when I found out that Temple had upset Xavier that year in the yeah. in the A ten tournament, and I remember thinking, "We're finally gonna do it. you are finally." <laughs> Did you guys have that same feeling? Because you obviously watched the game from Dayton, right? Yep, yep. It,
3: it was it was a mixed emotion because you gotta remember you want to like- beat him. There it is. Yeah. So, so Xavier had beaten us twice that year and and we felt like we let them off the hook twice. It wasn't that they beat us. We felt like we, we gave it to them. Mm-hmm. So we were looking forward to, to beating them on our home court for the, for the championship. So, but then the other side of you is like, okay, we know we could beat Temple. Yeah. We're about to give Temple this work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like as a competitor, you, you want you, sometimes you want the harder path because that's the competitor in you, but I'm not mad that Temple beat them, so then we got to slap Temple. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yo. And and I think I, what I do remember is that Temple had gotten beat by Xavier like a week before that by like 30. And and it yeah. was like such a huge upset. I mean, everybody had expected Dayton and Xavier were gonna meet, and and then sure enough, you know, it <clears throat> it wasn't to be. So you guys you won the, the tournament on Saturday. Um, When I did talk to Keith, I asked him like, oh, was that a big party on campus? And he said, no. He was like, the students weren't in school. They were on break. He's like, so we didn't even really get to go back to campus and like, you know, hoop and holler, like partied up at Tim's and shit. Um, But because I had asked him, like, what do you remember about that night? And only because we haven't won the tournament since then. So I was like, was there anything special about that night? (laughs) Oh man, I, I don't know where, maybe Keith
3: didn't go party. I know we went to town. 10- <laughs> <laughs> he gave me the wrong story. Yeah, what's he talking about, man? No, we. what I remember, I remember thinking like, we're about to get arrested, like downtown Dayton. <laughs> and I don't know how, I had a Suburban at the time and, and we were partying so hard. I remember Ramad, Ramad or Frank Iguodala. Um, I had a sunroof. And he had his shirt off and was out of the sunroof, like throwing his t shirt or, or waving his shirt around his head, driving downtown Dayton. No, we we kicked it that night. <laughs> <laughs> Keith <laughs> uh, must have been in his room chilling then. <laughs> and Keith was my roommate. So yeah, Keith, you know, he probably was in bed by eleven.
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> I I every when he told me that, I was like, There's no way there was nothing going on. There's just oh, no way.
3: Yeah, he's tripping. We we kicked. I remember dudes had their like weird, like dudes had their shirts off in in Tim's, and I remember thinking like, why are your
2: shirts off? Like, put your shirts on. But, <laughs> <laughs> we
3: kicked it definitely.
2: <laughs> well, uh, so a couple was it the next day is uh, is Selection Sunday, and um, I've told this story on the show a bunch of times, but. Um, you know, when you uh, at that age, like I was always looking at rosters, right? Like, how do we match up versus team? And like, what are the stats? Like, I was really deep into stats at that time. And I remember I was watching the selection show with my dad, and they popped up, Tulsa came up on the screen. And I was like, my dad wasn't really letting me swear at that time, but I kind of got away with this one. I was like, oh, shit. He goes, what? I said, this is a tough Tulsa team, man. I said I don't. I don't think we're going to lose. I was like, but this is about as hard of a draw of a thirteen that we could get. Yeah. Did you guys feel that way too? I mean, what, in Selection yeah, Sunday, what do you rem- remember about that last kind of week there? I remember that, thinking we got screwed.
3: That's what I remember. I mean, it, I'm, I'm bitter. I'm bitter to this day. Okay, So there's there's an unwritten rule that everybody knows. You the, the NCAA takes care of their first four seeds, yep. and, and by that I mean they try to keep you somewhat close to home. So you you can you can travel, right? Your your yep. fans can travel. They sent us to Spokane, Washington, number one. N- number two, they had us play what, was like a 10 o'clock game that night. So bodies were, were, you know, nine o'clock, ten o'clock game. It was late. So so our bodies, it's it's midnight, one o'clock, right? Yep. The second thing is Tulsa was was the most underrated thirteen seed in the history of the tournament. It had to be. Oh yeah because because three of their guys had they'd gotten in trouble that year. And and so there there was either injuries and or suspension. So basically, they didn't play with with their squad for like half the season. Mm-hmm. So so their record was very misleading. Like they were they were as good as you know four or five seeds. I mean it was a good team. So you know now with all that being said, we should we could beat them. We were the better team. But but my point though is that was not like you said that was not your typical four thirteen first round matchup.
2: No, no, it wasn't. And, uh, you know, and it even came to be that, you know, the tournament, like when the field comes out, there's always like a four or five seed where everybody's on the underdog. Yeah. And, and that was you guys were that game that year, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, So I, I won't even ask a question about this. Just that. What, what do you remember from the Tulsa game now? Just
3: that it couldn't have gone any worse. I mean, the start we 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 came out, we came out cold. They were the aggressor. They came out, punched us in our mouth, and and we we wobbled. I mean, they didn't knock us out, as you know. I mean, we got down twenty, yeah, um, yeah, and they just they just came out and took it to us. Now we spent so much energy coming back. Like they literally got up twenty points on us, and and we cut it all the way down. I mean, we tied it up. I so said it was and like four actually, or
2: five minutes left, right? You guys, yeah, it? yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And there was a big call, and I'm sure if you said you interviewed Finn, I'm sure he talked about like how pissed he is to this day about it but but there was a, a major goaltending call that, that took the wind out of ourselves. it deflated us. So we we came all the way back and I think we're either down one or one or two, or it's even tied up and we miss a shot. Matter of fact, I think it was me. I think I drove through the hole, missed a shot. Finn came back and, and with a put back dunk, a nasty one hand put back dunk. Crowd goes crazy, whatever. The refs waved it off, called offensive goaltend. If you, and, and then Tulsa comes down and hits a three. But if you watch it on film, from the overview camera, it was not goaltend. The ball had cleared the rim. It was a clean putback dunk. Mm. Even the commentators were going nuts. But that just deflated us when we, we when that basket was waved off, and then they came down and hit a three. It it, it, was, it was over after that. It was over.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Finn did talk about that. So you guys are. Uh, I, um, <clears throat> I released um, the conversation I had with him uh, right before we're releasing this episode, just for that reason, because I think it's great context to just have both conversations right next to each other. Yeah. Um, but for you know the the 2020 year is obviously going to be so wholly unique because the the game ended the way it did, or the season ended the way it did, rather. But I think it doesn't really compare. I I guess it's hard to even compare the two but that flight home, you know, and that that ride home, I mean, that's got to be a long flight home, man. Like do you, do you try to forget about it or you know what what's it like when you're when you're flying home like 4 hours and you're just like, you know, shit, it's done. Yeah,
3: you're you're sick. You're, yeah. you're sick because and you just said it, you're done. Like like literally my career is over and it went out that way cuz you go from and you gotta think, man, 24 hours before that, we're looking at our our bracket. We're like, hey, we get Who's next? Costa, we're gonna beat Wisconsin. Like, like the, mm-hmm. the teams in our pod, very, very beatable. We're like, man, we, we can actually make a run. Mm-hmm. And so you go from that 24 hours prior, fast forward, and you're on your flight home and your career's over, and you just got upset, and it's just a weird feeling that you you really can't process. And no matter of fact, I think we had, we spent the night there. Actually. I remember we had to actually stay there after that game. Oh yeah. Hotel. Cause it was late. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they have to like lay there and and, and stay in the city that I just, you just want to be home at that point. Right. Yeah. And, and then you got to wake up and, and nowadays they charter all their flights, like private flights. Back then you had to go commercial. So, you got to walk through the through the and, and I don't say that like I'm a spoiled kid I'm saying No that's the worst man you had to be yeah so you're here and everybody is looking at you and you guys just lost and it just was a terrible terrible feeling man terrible
2: <laughs> Yeah it, and um you know that it's it's always going to be one of those games that that people remember just because of um of how great you know that team is but um you know, you you stuck around the program all these years, man. You you've helped to to kind of make the program what it is now. And um, you know, sure enough, that that next year, you know, the the, the guys without you went right back to the tournament. And um I don't think it was you know, it was because they, they didn't have you, but um, you know, they, they were so strong in that last year with Keith and Sean and Ramad all all being seniors that you know they got back to the dance and same thing, you know, you, you come up like a bucket short or you know, I wish that would fall. Uh have you been back to Spokane since? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, to try to blow it up.
3: No, I haven't been. No, no, no. I I'll never unless I have to. I haven't been back, man. I, I just and here I am 40 years old, 39 years old and I I'm, I'm still bitter about that. I mean, yeah. it, it it really. But but I was happy for the guys the next year. But what yeah. I will say though to point that out though, that 5-year span is why Dayton is able to do what they are today right like that literally set the table um to where because you got to think even though we only made the nit um two of those four years that i was there they were all 20 plus win seasons right and and then that fifth year you know gregory comes in and 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 takes them back to the tournament and it was just setting the table to where people were like okay dayton is for real and and so you know, fast forward and now little stuff, right? So it's, it's all about recruiting. Well, how well, recruits like Nike gear and they like, because my freshman year, I don't know what brand we played in. It was some weird letter A on my jersey. I don't know what it stood for. <laughs> I can't tell you, but, but, but point being though, now you, you put up together a winning program. Now they're wearing Nike gear and that that's how you get recruits, little stuff like that. So, yeah. so man, we, I'm proud to be a part of kind of that first wave that, that set the table to allow us to be where we are today man I, I'm, I'm really glad I was a part of that
2: yeah yeah and, and obviously that's the reason why I love doing these interviews I love talking to you guys um you know the 12 year old of me is super excited but you know I do I feel some sort of duty a little bit to have this show and have the platform to tell the younger fans about some of these days because I mean I'm sure you can appreciate you grew up in dayton but not half of the fan base, but a pretty decent chunk of the fan base starts being fans when they get on campus. So, and I even have friends like that that are diehards, but they didn't start watching the program till 07 when they went to school. And so I always feel like, it's great to, to get on and talk about some of those days, because like you said, understanding where we came from kind of gives you a better picture of like how we never end up there again. And I'm I'm more speaking about like the Jim O'Brien years yeah, yeah, um, is right. just, you know, understanding that like we can't ever end up in one of those positions again. But um, when was the last time you talked about like some of the some of the games at UD? Has it been a while? Yeah, it's been a while, and
3: to to get this in depth, it's been a really long time. I'm actually enjoying reminiscing about it, man. And everybody does. That's why I keep doing it, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love it. I do, and and it's and it's nice to keep that alive because, like you said, you know, generational generations of fans, it it, it switches. So now here you are, thirty. You you were ten, but as we keep moving forward, there's going to be people they weren't alive even <laughs> during yeah. that time. So so we got to talk about the history. Um, and I love it. By the way, I don't know how much longer we're going, but but this past season, I hate to say this, and it, and it breaks my heart to say it, but I don't know that we'll ever have the opportunity we had this year really? that was ended by COVID. I, it just when I tell you, it was a perfect storm. Um, you have a a a program changer in in Obi. You know that how many OBs are we going to have? You you have. The veteran leadership, you've got a trade Landers and a Mike Sell who are, you know, as versatile as they come as far as defensively. You've got Scoochie, who's probably, you know, he may end up being a lottery pick, depending on how the season goes. You've got, you know, Ibby Watson. I mean, Crusher? Uh, oh, I'm Coucher. sorry, Crutcher. Yeah, I don't hey, know yeah. who I said. Who I was I said, Scooch. like,
2: Scoochie's coming back. Oh, you
3: my got bad. Scoo-
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> my bad. No, and, and it's yeah, funny because yeah. Jalen, yeah, Crutcher reminded me of, of Scoochie. But yeah, so you have Jalen who's gonna probably top twenty-five. You know, he's a first rounder next year. It seems um, that way, yeah. You got Ibby, who who I'm telling you is is going to be a first rounder. He's a monster. People have no idea no idea how good Ibby is. You think part. he's gonna get drafted, Ibby Watson? Oh, for sure. It, 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 he is a he'll average 15 to 18 this year people have no he played a role last year write it down breaking news oh, write it down write it down man <laughs> hey i called i called oh uh i called Obi before before he had an obvious good year you just because i can see it behind it because i get to see them at practice and stuff yeah, yeah so so i see you know i knew he was gonna put his name in the draft last year because of just off of potential yeah. um but but anyway point being though this year it just couldn't have been scripted any better. And then on top of that, college basketball was down, right? Like like there weren't any just crazy dominant teams. Nope. So like it had to just be all of these factors perfectly fitting to give Dayton this opportunity, man. I just I hope I'm wrong, but I, I just don't know <laughs> if it ever plays out this way again.
2: No, no, you're right. And um, y- y- you you hit the nail on the head because I said this a couple of months ago. When you consider all the unique situations that landed this team together, um, you know, Obi redshirted right when he first yeah. came to school. Jalen Crutcher was committed to go to Chattanooga and play for Matt McCall. Matt McCall left and went to UMass. Jalen Crutcher got out of his commitment. He came to Dayton. Ibby Watson had to transfer in from Michigan. Then you got Trey Landers, who almost transferred that first year after Archie glued him to the bench. Then you yeah. got Ryan Sell, who took a year off because he got injured. Yeah. So the only reason he was a senior was because he had that freak injury with his hips. I mean, the entire roster was like all of these random happenstance things that all just came together at once. So you're absolutely right. i said this to everybody. I just, like you said, you hope to be wrong, but I just do not see how – how Dayton, Ohio is ever going to have a team like that again. But even if we do, even if we do have another one seed, it's not going to be that team because of Larry said this, but the existential circumstances, like you can't account and you can't, it's hard to put into words why Dayton needed that team so bad between the tornado and True. the shootings um, you know, there was just all these little things in Dayton, not little things. They were big things in Dayton that had the community kind of not reeling, but, you know, looking, it, it, it almost goes back to like the 1980 us hockey team, right? Like the situation in the country was just like, it was shitty. And there was Iran hostage crisis and the team, the country needed something to feel good about again. Right, and and right. I feel like Dayton was the exact same way. It's not like anything was going necessarily horrible for the school, but for the community, you know, the community need to turn on the TV twice a week and go, man, our boys are really kicking the shit out of them. Aren't they? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Great point. <clears throat> that's, and, and, that's kind of what it is.
3: No. And, that, and that's a great point. You're right. I, and none of those things and for it to all fall in line. Now I will say, even though we may never experience that, I do think we've arrived. A- AG is the right hire. Um, and, and I wouldn't, I won't say I was critical of him, but I was to be determined. Right. Like I was I the same to, way. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to see. And now, he knows what he's doing. He's a stud. And he has he has an, an all-star supporting cast. I mean, I can go through the lines of assistance. I won't, but just know they are stars at what they do. It's just a perfect team. But so, so we may not get back to that one seed, top three in the country type team. But I do think we've arrived to where we should – we could be perennial top 25. I mean, every year. Yeah. It just to where he's competing for four- and five-star players here, like Gonzaga. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just – I do think he's, he's, if he's not there, he's right on the brink.
2: Well, even, and I don't even really need the team to be top 25. Like the goal is to make the tournament every year, but let's be honest. I mean, we just went through all those years where Xavier was dominant in the conference. And we always say this, like the goal here at UD is to do that, is to be in the top two in the conference every single year, rinse and repeat, graduate guys, get back to the top two. Um, and and you know, that's where I see the program heading right now. And and I know that, you know, you holding it so close to your heart. I mean, that it, it means a lot to us to to say that we've finally gotten over that hump. Um we're uh, we're down around the 75 minute mark. I'm talking to Brooks Hall. I thank all the listeners for being around right now. And as we always close these interviews, I have some rapid fire questions. We're going to start with some trivia, man. This is a good one. So I, oh. I, you know, I always do a little bit of prep. Um, didn't you have to do a ton of prep? Cause I know what was going on with this interview. I, I remember a lot of those days, but um, I was taking a look at some of your stats Average 40, uh, 40% from three-point line senior year, which which was damn good in college basketball that year. So I went looking at some stats, and these ones always jump off the page at me. Minimum 100 attempts. Who led the country in the 2003 season for three-pointers? And I'll give you a hint of why this is a good trivia question. He's still playing professional basketball to this day. Okay, so it's not Capone. Is it Corver? That's it. Kyle Korver, Creighton, my man shot 48% from three. That is ridiculous. <laughs> That's so
3: I, had, I, had, I had a couple, when I know you rapid fire, I had a couple uh, NBA workouts with sure. him, man. He he was as good as advertised from buying that line. It's yeah, crazy.
2: he is. I mean, you, you still see him to this day. I mean, he, he can be like falling away from the basket, like behind the backboard and still make the shot. Um, no, th- so that leads into the best um, or the, the next two questions. Who's the best player that you played against, um, let's just say in college?
3: That's and that's tough. I get that a lot because man, I played against Richard Jefferson, played against Gilbert Arenas on that Arizona team. Duhan Reddick. Um, played against du yeah, Duhan Redick. Uh Dwayne Wade is the answer, by the way.
2: Um, oh, that's right. You guys
3: played Marquette that year. Yeah. And, so I played against D Wade twice and uh you know, we beat them at home. They came in ranked, I don't know, 11 or so, and we went to overtime with them. Great game. But, yeah, D-Wade was the best player that I, I faced.
2: And then the, the last one was you you wrapped up at UD, and then um, I believe it was like a month later that OP decided to, to go to Clemson. Um, okay. Did 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 you guys know that was coming at the end of the year? Did he kind of spring that on you? I mean, did you even hear from him because you were already out of school or like going on your way out of school? Like what? how did that go for you? We hit a couple topics today, man. That are they could be segments on their own. Um, yeah, yeah. We got plenty of time, and
3: this show's not going anywhere, so no worries. Yeah, we'll do we'll do that another day. But I'll I tell you this, o, Op and I, I'll just put it like this: I've been out what O three, so what we year seventeen. I've talked to Op once since I've graduated, and, wow. and so to answer your question, no, guys did not know he was going. I'm just glad that he at least held one promise to me because. One way he got me was I asked, "Did he plan to be there all four years?" Because I was I was close with him, mm-hmm. so if he and he promised me, he said, "I will not leave until you graduate." And I so I don't know if that was just pure coincidence or if he literally was just holding on until I was done. I don't know, but 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 no, man, he he sprung that on everyone.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, I, in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, coaching hires are like that man and it's even worse now that guys find out from social media like um you know before the coach even like tells him because i think archie was kind of like that where they like the team had already had an inkling that he was leaving and then sure enough like he showed up to this team meeting without his date and stuff on and the guys were like okay i know what's going on here you know like right. he's he's on the way out the door um but you, you know Again, man, just backing up, it, um, it, it was awesome just to, to kind of talk about some of those games, some of those days, uh, you know, the Villanova shot, the tournament games, winning the A-10, um, you know, all of that. And um, I didn't want to keep you too long today, but I never cut a, a good conversation short. And I think the one thing we've learned today is that uh, we got plenty of time to do this again. We got plenty of stories to go through uh, as the season unfolds. So. On that on that note, um, have you seen the team practice recently? And uh, and what do you, you know? What do you expect from this year? I think you, you already mentioned Jalen and Ibby, these guys can ball, and I think we all know that. But um, yeah, you know, what do you expect from this season?
3: So so no, I haven't been to a practice yet. I'm actually mm-hmm. now that you know we're getting underway, I'll start getting down to practices over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, but what I do know about the roster, I, I expect. Oh man, well I was gonna before Cohill because because I this was going to be. Ugh, a, a, a breakout year for Wayne. I know. And uh that that's a bigger blow than people may I know people that follow closely realize that, but but on that's a big blow losing yeah. losing Wayne. Defensively um, for sure. For that that's it right there. So I need to get in this before I make my annual prediction, I I have to go watch them because I need to see what they look like without Wayne. Yeah. Um now now pre Wayne injury, I, I was I was saying they're gonna win the A ten. Um, and, and they still may have a chance. I just don't know what the, you know, and then the eligibility of uh, the, the kid that transferred in, I don't think we've heard yet.
2: Elijah Weaver. Up, well, we've... AG said that he wasn't going to apply for a waiver, but that might change now that they have an injury situation. Exactly. Everybody's getting a waiver. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think they're going to go for I think they're going to try to get him cleared, especially with Wayne going
3: down. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see. So, uh, but yeah, I, regardless of, of Dwayne being out, I, I, they're a top three team in my opinion. I'm just hesitant to to pick them as the A10 favorite yet.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, and uh in Richmond, you know, got a real good team coming back. They they had injuries yeah. as well here in the preseason. Um but uh hey, that's as fair and honest of a prediction as we can ask for before you can get your eyes on the team, man. So, um I I wrap up every interview I have on this show uh, the same way. Uh, it's final thoughts uh, for the Dayton listeners, for the fans, for everybody listening out there. Uh, this was you know truly an enjoyable hour and a half for me, and like I said, it was cool to have. Uh, my flyer fandom just come all the way full circle finally. Um, so next time I'm in Dayton, I'll make sure to bring uh my old Ratty jersey along, and um, and I'll show you, man. It's like it's because you sign it with a sharpie. Like I don't know how I had a sharpie that day, but it's it's so faded that it's like it's not even brown. It's kind of like I, I don't even know. It's 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 weird. But anyways, um, <laughs> what what uh what do you have final thoughts for the listeners, man? <laughs>
3: no nah, man listen I just appreciate the the time and I enjoy um talking and, and yeah hour and 20 I, I didn't didn't feel like it no you know, no so, way you know I definitely appreciate it um you know now I'm I'm just a Flyer fan it, I, it's cool to hear the stories about you know when you're a kid and all that but but definitely when you come in town hit me up would love to link up but uh You know, if you ever need me on here to talk ball again or talk, you know, tell stories or whatever, man, anytime
2: I enjoyed it. Yeah, we're going to make it happen for sure. Um, At the time of this recording, Dayton Flyer season is 35 days away. We still have no schedule whatsoever. So we'll uh, we'll hope, you know, hope and pray schedule comes out. Uh, But that's going to do it for tonight. Uh, For Brooks Hall, I am your host, Sully. And as I take you out today, you know there are two rules. You wear red and be loud. I'll catch you next time.